Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is risen. Indeed, he's risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. As I greet you with Christ is risen, I will do so not for too much longer because the Paschal season is coming to a conclusion, at least liturgically. The whole reality of the Paschal season, of course, lives and hopefully lives on within us. We are immersed in it. It's an ongoing reality, which we simply enter into through the liturgy and liturgical calendar of the church. But also, We will be saying Christ is risen a little bit longer for our Orthodox brethren because they are, of course, on the Julian calendar, not on the Gregorian calendar, and their Paschal season starts later, so they're going to continue on for a little bit. Next year, happy to say, both the eastern lung of the church and the western lung of the church, the entire church, east and west, will celebrate the resurrection of Christ at the same time, and that will be wonderful. It happens every once in a while. And one day, we hope it'll happen together forever, however they work that out. (laughs) Sometimes the issues of the calendar can be very technical, very brain-busting, and very controversial. But we do pray for the time when together we can celebrate the Paschal season. Won't that be powerful to have both lungs breathing together? The theme of Christ is risen from the dead. So we have just a little bit more of the Paschal season. It will end on Pentecost Sunday, which will be next Sunday. But in the meantime... We have within the Paschal season, as we do in all seasons in the liturgical calendar, we have different days that punctuate or sort of perforate the particular season, so-called lesser holy days or observances of different saints or different events. And many times in the church today, these days, these what I'm going to call holy days, get underplayed. I remember as a child growing up, We were in church quite often during the week. I remember I'd have to get my homework done a little bit later or earlier because we had to go to church. And we went to church for these what were called holy days, or maybe even a better word would be feast days, festive days, in the liturgical calendar. 
there were quite a few of them, and many of them had a greater significance, so they would have been called, to use Western terminology, obligatory. In other words, holy days of obligation. It didn't mean that we weren't obligated to go on other holy days, but just meant that some holy days were, now I use Eastern terms, more solemn than others. In other words, their significance was greater dogmatically or theologically. But in the Eastern churches, it was expected that people would just go for any time, and especially for any of the holy days, whether they were very solemn and great ones or lesser ones. They are all significant. And yes, it was a sacrifice. You had to set aside that time, interrupt your schedule, do other things later on or another time, like homework when I was a child. But this was actually good for us, good for our soul, good for our immersion into the liturgical life of the church and into the mystery of these holy days. Now, as time passed, and this is starting in the 60s, so-called the post-Vatican II era, the church, East and West, began to diminish the number of holy days of quote-unquote obligation, and there were fewer of them. But it didn't change what was on the actual church calendar, East and West. And while there was maybe some good reasons for this, at the same time, I think there is a maybe a downside to this. Sometimes when we try to make things too convenient in the hopes of getting more participation in the church, we end up doing the very thing that is the opposite. We have less participation. We have more complacency and more laxity. The reason why the holy days are significant is, first of all, precisely because they break up our day. That's what we don't seem to like because we have so many other things that we have to get to that society outside of the church says we have to do or expects from us. And so our scheduling gets very tight, especially when we have families and very active families, as most families are today, all kinds of sporting activities and so on, in addition to just the day-to-day household tasks, just running the household adequately, efficiently. I realize it takes time and effort As a pastor, I am sympathetic to that. Although I don't have my own physical children, of course, I have many, many spiritual children. So I am understanding of that. However, there's almost like a tug-of-war that a pastor goes through. At least I feel that. It's a tug-of-war for your souls, for those of you listening here, especially if you're a laity, your family members, because the outside world has so many things that attract you, that pull your attention and make such demands on you as if those are the most important things in the world. Let's face it. Look up at those coaches' demand of children in their organized sports. And boy, if you don't toe the line, you're off the team. And that's a big disappointment to the child and even to the parents. Now, these things are good in themselves. I'm not saying they're not good. It's just that we've entered a time now where there's a bit of a tug-of-war now for the soul, especially of our children. A tug-of-war between the liturgical life of the church, which is essential for the child's development, and for a tug-war between the liturgical life of the church, which is essential for a child's development, and those secular interests that seem to be so exciting and so alluring to families today. So the first point about the holy days is a very thing that we maybe don't like about them. They are purposely inconvenient. Not that the church is trying to inconvenience us. It's trying to perforate our day, break up our day, stop everything and focus on something else that's very significant, that's actually the most significant. Our faith and all those things that we practice in the church is what should animate how we act and engage in the other activities of our life. We don't separate the two. 
We don't compartmentalize, although it's a big propensity of our culture today. But in the church, it's integrated. We say that what you experience in church should animate, should influence how you approach things outside of the church. So there's a certain continuity, a certain interdependency. The holy days of the church immerse us into certain realities that are significant for us spiritually and actually in all ways. They enlighten us. They inform us about things. For example, this week itself, and I'm speaking about the Byzantine liturgical calendar. Today, Sunday, May 8th, it's also Mother's Day in the civil world, but in the liturgical calendar of the Eastern churches, it is the Sundays of the Father of the First Ecumenical Council. Now, this happened in Nicaea in 325 AD. That's the council upon which we base most of our creed. You know, the I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, that we say in church. We should say otherwise, too, and we do in other kinds of prayers. But we certainly say it as a community in church. We profess our faith individually and as a community. And we do so, if you notice, in the part of the liturgy or the Mass, East and West, prior to receiving Holy Communion. You see, it's very purposeful, like everything else in liturgy or the Mass. We say this prayer, we proclaim our faith, because we have to believe before we can actually approach the Eucharist and become that one body together in Christ. Becoming one body just isn't about feeling like we're close to everybody or just the idea of being one body. We're one body in that we believe and embrace the same life, the same dogma, the same belief, the same worldview. And that's why it's important to profess that individually and as a community before we come together as a community and are united as one body in the Eucharist. Well, this council laid out the basics of our faith. In fact, if you look at the Catholic Catechism, the basic structure, the flow of the Catholic Catechism is based upon the creed. It's basically moving through each line of the creed and expanding on that. And why was this council so important? Not only because it gave us the creed, but it was addressing a particular issue. You see, councils in the church usually were convened to respond to heresies, to wrong teachings. The church is proactive and reactive. It's proactive in evangelizing and bringing the word of God to the whole world. But the church oftentimes has to be reactive, and we see that today. And unfortunately, then the church gets a bad rap. People think of the church as being negative, saying no to everything. But actually, the church is simply reacting because it has to. It reacts to any kind of threat to the true teaching. So in a sense, the church is reacting to its proactiveness. <laughs> the church is proactive in bringing the message of Christ, the good news, to the world. But if there's a threat to that, by virtue of a wrong philosophy, ideology, heresy, the church then has to react and correct that. So the first ecumenical council was called by the Emperor Constantine because there was a controversy that was actually dividing his empire. Imagine that back in those days. There was a consideration from Christology, from the question of the natures of Christ, that was actually dividing his empire. Can you imagine that? I call that the real good old days. So he had to bring together his empire. So he brought together the great fathers of the church to hash this out. And basically, it was about a heresy developed by a priest named Arius, who was denying the divinity of Christ. You see, what happened in the church, especially in the first several centuries in the church, and largely in the East, where dogma and doctrine began, is being formulated, and you can somewhat understand this. The church, the message of Jesus Christ, the God who is Trinity, is being brought to you know, pagan nations who worship many gods. Now, just think of it for a moment. 
we take it for granted. We believe that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ had two natures, God and man. But try to explain that to somebody in a way they can embrace it and live it, who doesn't come from that kind of mentality, comes from a very different mentality. Well, naturally, there's going to be difficulties in understanding and even misunderstanding. And as always, the person of Jesus Christ being a mystery, just like the Trinity, is a challenge to fully understand. How can a being, a person, be divine and human at the same time? What does that really mean? If something so great as his divinity is present, wouldn't it overshadow his humanity? Or vice versa? He can't possibly be fully divine. He's mostly human, but in a very holy, holy way, almost a divine way. Well, these are some of the issues that were swirling around during the early centuries of the church. And in fact, they tend to get recycled today, but in different clothing. We're going to talk more about the holy days of the church and why they're significant when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyo, your host. We're talking about the significance of what we call holy days or feast days in the liturgical calendar, whether they're very large, solemn, important ones, ones of so-called obligation, or even lesser ones. There's a reason why they're on the calendar, and that reason is because it's good for us. We are, first of all, talking about the Council of Nicaea, which we celebrate in the Byzantine liturgical calendar today on May 8th. And we mentioned this council was very significant for defining who Christ really is. Now, why is that significant? Well, think about it for a moment. If we don't understand that Jesus Christ 
the person of Jesus Christ in his human form walk around this earth doing all kinds of miracles and being such a wonderful human being, if we don't understand or accept the fact that he was also at the same time divine, that the two natures were not subsumed into each other, they weren't confused, they existed within one person, separate natures, God and man, but one person. If we don't believe that, then we really can't believe that we were truly saved because only God can ultimately save us. A human person, no matter how great they are, cannot save us because a human person is always going to be born with the effects of original sin. Unless they were preserved from such, such as the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's a special case. But still, she acted together with the Holy Spirit. She did not save us by herself. It was God who saved us in cooperation with her, whom he kept from sin. So, a single human being cannot save us no matter how gloriously they are. It must be the action of God together with the human person. So Jesus Christ is God and man, an action of God and of man, perfect man, together. And that is very significant. It's significant also for our image of the human person. If we believe that God took on our nature, then that should influence how we see our nature, how we see the human person. We have to, therefore, see the human person as glorious, as beautiful, as worthy of nothing, and at all times, love and respect. But if we don't see or don't believe the fact that God took on our human nature while remaining God, there's nothing all that special about the human being. We're more advanced than the animals, but other than that, we're not that much greater, except for the fact that God took on our nature. Now he elevates it. He gives it a quality he did not give to any other creature or or any aspect of his creation, whether living or non-living, whether animate or inanimate. He did not do that. Yes, he infused himself into his creation and certainly elevated to a certain extent, infused a certain quality, a certain sanctity to it. But he did not give it that special character that the human form, the human person has by virtue of God taking on our nature. So if we don't see the human person that way, then we open the door to abusing the human person, doing heinous things to people. In fact, this is how sinful things occur between human beings. They forget, if even for a moment, that this creature standing in front of you is a creature in the image and likeness of God, with an eternal destiny, a creature whose very nature God took on and elevated and mounted on the very throne of heaven with him, which we just are celebrating in this post-festive day of the Feast of the Ascension of our Lord. So it does matter how we understand Christ and therefore Christ in relation to us. So when we go to church and we enter into that particular theme of that particular holy day, it changes how we understand life, or it reinforces our correct vision of life. We're re-energized, we're reminded. You know, no matter how good we know something, we always have to be reminded of it. And if we know it really, really well, something that is really great, a great mystery like our faith, God and our relationship to God, the church, these are things that no matter how great we know them, how well we know them, reviewing them, re-immersing ourselves in their mystery just further accelerates our joy, 
our appreciation of it. Not only does it inform us, but let's say we know everything. Well, we still need to immerse ourselves in these events, in these feast days, because they enliven and take to even new heights our experience and appreciation of these feast days. It happens to me as a priest. Think about it. We go through the same basic cycle year after year, the same Sundays, the same feast days. And the priest preaches on these days. He does the prayers, the divine office of the church on these days. He sees the icons of these days. We see all the aspects of these respective holy days. Do I ever get tired of it? No. I will be a priest in July, July 11th to be exact, 34 years, which means I will have gone through them 34 times. 34 times. Do I ever get tired? No. Actually, what happens is I experience and realize and notice something new and fresh about them each time to the point where I say, why didn't I see this last year or 10 years ago? I remember giving a homily on this feast day 25 years ago. It was okay, pretty good at the time, but now I see so much here I didn't see before. So these feast days, these events, have in a sense an endless or bottomless reservoir of inspiration for us. We just have to come back and keep looking at them over and over again. Remember, life is about seeing old things, but in new ways. It's true in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. We oftentimes think there is, but there really isn't. There's just new ways to see or to express or to understand or to come at something. But the thing itself is usually always the same. And so these feast days are actually very exciting for me. One of the first things I do when I get up in the morning, or I might know it from the night before if I'm praying the divine office the night before, but if I can't get to that in the evening, then I pick it up in the morning. And the first thing I do is I look at what the feast day is, the saint of the day is. And I actually have a certain excitement, a certain anticipation. I look forward to that because, first of all, it's always something new and fresh. I'm going to take a new look at it. Something's going to hit me that didn't hit me before. And also, that becomes my little friend through the day. I'm going to pray to that saint all day long. I'm going to feel close to them from time to time. I'm going to check in with each other. And then the next day, I'll have another good friend that's going to accompany me, along, of course, with my guardian angel, if my guardian angel hasn't quit on me. I don't think he has, but sometimes I wonder if he wants to stay with me. (laughs) I seem to overwork him at times, (laughs) especially when we're driving. But I look at the saint, or I look at the experience, the event, and I'm immersed in it anew. And that can and should be your experience as well. Moving through this week, Moving away from Sunday, we have, in this particular week in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we have the translation of the relics of Nicholas of Myra, the Feast of Simon the Zealot, the Apostle, a big one for my church, Cyril and Methodius, the Feast of St. Cyril and Methodius, because they brought Christianity to the Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic Church back in the 9th century. And then we have Saturday, the fifth All Soul Saturday. That's right, you heard it right. Count them. Not one, not two, but five All Soul Saturday in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. Five times. We pray in a very special way for all the deceased. And eventually we also do it for all the saints in heaven as well. There were four of them during Lent. Now we have the fifth one here just before it comes the very day before we will celebrate, which is next Sunday, the Feast of Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit. Now it makes a lot of sense liturgically, doesn't it? Remember all those who have gone before us, all of them, As we come then to that great unifying event, 
the diversity, the unity in diversity of the descent of the Holy Spirit. The whole church in the next life and this life around the whole world comes together as one with the one same charism of the presence of the Holy Spirit in us individually and in the church. So it's very appropriate that we would remember those who have gone on before us because remember, Christ is the God of the living, not of the dead. So we are very much united with those who have gone on. In fact, sometimes I believe we're united in an even more intimate way when they've gone on to the next life. And where does that happen to the nth degree? And aren't we blessed to have it? The Eucharist. That's right. As we partake of the body and blood of Christ, we unite with those who have gone on, whether they're our own relatives or the great saints in heaven. We come together as one in the body of Christ. It spans time. It spans the next life in this life. It breaks through that barrier, that threshold. And so we pray for the deceased on the day before the Sunday of Pentecost. Now, there's a couple of days I didn't mention there, and those saints are other saints like Glyceria, who is a martyr, or Epiphanius and Germanus, who are bishops. Most of these saints are martyrs. So every day in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, there is a saint or saints, or sometimes a saint, saints, and events, or an event, all on the same day. But there's always something that we observe each day during the entire year in the liturgical calendar. And observing these things immerses us in their mystery, which we need, we all need. So I'm asking you, as we move through the end of the Paschal season, into the Pentecost, where we have the beginning of the church, renewed by the Spirit, why not make a commitment, a covenant in your own home to come to church more often for many of the holy days, days of the saints, because... It's good for us. It's good for me, and it's good for you. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. And on iTunes, Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!